You're listening to the Beyond the States podcast with Jen Vimont. Did you know that you can go to Europe and get your entire degree taught in English for less than one year of tuition at many American schools? Jen will take you on a deep dive into the many benefits and options around English-taught higher education in Europe, helping to make the possibility less foreign. Hey guys, I'm Jen Vimont, and I'm so glad you're joining us for another episode. So today I'm really excited for the for you to hear the interview. It's with um, Adam, who is a student in Rotterdam, and we're going to talk about a number of his experiences, including um, the fact that he plays competitive baseball, which I didn't even know was a thing in Europe, uh, but he plays at a competitive level in the Netherlands. But before we get to the interview, I want to talk about student life for international students in Europe, because it's an aspect that's packaged very differently than in the US, but one in which I believe students still get the various needs met. So let's talk about some of the differences for, for a minute. One is around dorms. Uh, the universities 90% of the time do not own their own dorms. Now there are dorms, they're called student residences, but they're privately owned. And sometimes universities will contract out with these providers to save blocks of rooms for their students. Sometimes they won't. That's to say that you're going to live in, if you live in the student residences, you will likely be living with students who are from the different universities around the city, since you're all students. And because of that, your student life is much more about the city than just the specific university. There's also decentralized campuses. And what this means is that, you know, the humanities building might be in one part of town while the social science building might be completely in a different area of the town. The reason that's not important is because, you know, we talked last time about how you are taking all of your classes have to do with your program, again, sort of like your major. So all of your, if you're a humanities type student, all of your classes are going to be in the humanities building. So it's almost like a like a small university within a big university setting. You don't have to worry about getting from the humanities building to the social science building like you do in the US. So having that kind of compact space is not so important. Another difference, you know, there's no uh, Greek system in Europe. Now, in some countries, they do have something that's sort of like this. In the Netherlands, it's definitely more for just Dutch students. Sweden has something like them and international students do participate, but it's not kind of the rush where they have to choose you. It's not as exclusive as it is in the US. They're also not the collegiate sports like we think of either. So, and we're gonna talk more about that clearly today. So sometimes I meet a parent who says that they really want their kids to go to school in Europe, but that their kids resistant because they want, you know, the typical US experience. So I wanna dig deeper into this today. There are a few possibilities as to why the team might be resistant to this. One is just that they are not comfortable uh, making decisions sort of outside of the box or outside of group norms or cultural norms. And this is something that this comfort level sort of has to be introduced at a much younger age. If you have a 16 year old and you're just starting to introduce things that would lead to a passion about exploring cultures and also a comfort with sort of not conforming to group norms, then, then quite frankly, it's probably too late. Now, I'm not judging this. I have a lot of people in my life, you know, people who I really like a lot, family and friends who are happy living their lives this way. There's not one right way 
to live your life. And if you do just want to kind of stay within group norms, then that's okay. But college in Europe is probably not the best case for you in that situation. But the other possibility is that the team, the student might be resistant because they think that their social needs won't be met without the traditional American experience. And this is the one that I want to explore a little bit more. I want to talk about sort of the needs that are met through the traditional or supposed to be met through the traditional American experience and how they're met in Europe. So the Greek system in the US, it certainly meets the need for you know parties and also for um, presumably for a tight community. So these are needs that are absolutely met in Europe. You know, you certainly, you still have clubs. There's something called ESN. We had a whole episode on it on the last season, which often has parties, which has trips, which has all sorts of different activities for international students. Usually it's for study abroad students, but the whole international student community and actually not just international students can um, participate in that as well. There's also the international community that you'll be a part of. And I found this a lot with the expat community here in Portugal. You're going through these shared experiences, which really creates these tight bonds that are similar to how one might feel in, um, in the Greek system. Not only that, there are tons of parties for students in Europe. You know, the drinking age isn't an issue. So people don't have to be sort of like undercover about it. Um, the school will have parties that may involve drinking or may not, you know, but it doesn't have to be sort of a taboo situation like it sometimes is in the US due to the drinking age. I would say the thing it doesn't have, and I don't think this is a bad thing that the Greek system does, this is sort of like exclusivity. You don't have to worry about, you know, not getting into the international community. You're part of it. You don't have to worry about like not getting into this party because you're not in this frat or sorority you're going to be into it. Um, and the same, like I mentioned, with the nations in Sweden, which is sort of their version of the Greek system, you don't have to worry about not getting in. That, I think, is a really good thing. So that's just my opinion, though. So collegiate sports, the needs that are met with these, you know, it depends on, of course, if you're participating, which we'll get into with Adam in just a little bit. But then there are the needs around the collegiate sports scene that aren't about participating. You know, I started uh, when I went to college, I college hopped a little bit and I started at Vanderbilt University, which was like hardcore Southern. So not only was going to football games a really big thing, but women would get dressed up. Like we're talking about pearls and heels and you have a date to go to the football game and there's you know a ton of drinking beforehand, even if it's a noon game and then you're hot and you've been drinking and you're wearing heels. It was definitely more than the game itself. I don't know that much attention was even played uh, paid to the game, but it was about this tradition. So whether the need watching collegiate sports feel, uh, fills is around tradition or camaraderie with cheering for the same team or just enjoying watching the actual sport, there are absolutely ways to do it. There are a number of traditions that go along with the university, even outside of sports, um, that students participate in. Sometimes it's for international students. There will be sharing traditions of different cultures. Sometimes it's at the university level and they're like balls, you know, there's a ball to celebrate this. In uh, I mentioned Sweden before, there's always that, you know, May Day or Summer's Night or, you know, different countries have different traditions to participate in. But the simple fact of the matter is sports are big in Europe too. It's just not the collegiate sports. 
So students do watch sports together, whether it's, you know, in somebody's room or at the pub and they have the community, either, you know, their friends, the other students or with the people of the city who are also, you know, big fans of that particular team. So absolutely the, the camaraderie, cheering for the same team, watching the sport, that's all there. I have to tell you, even my son, who was not into sports at all, he has gotten into um, being a fan of certain teams just by being introduced to this, this kind of the culture and the camaraderie and all of that. By experiencing that with some of his friends, he now has uh, soccer, uh, football teams that he likes and doesn't like just based on these social experiences. So in terms of a centralized campus, I talked about this a little bit before, how in the U.S., a centralized campus it certainly meets the need of the ease of getting from building to building. It didn't feel like ease when I was in college. I'm walking, you know, 10 minutes to the other building in between classes. But the bottom line is it's not needed in Europe, you know, because again, all of your classes are going to be in usually one building or so. So not only is it really not needed in Europe, but I do feel like that traditional U.S. campus can be sort of limiting since it almost like provides this, this bubble of the university in which you live, as opposed to the actual city. So when I um, lived in North Carolina, like I said, I lived in Chapel Hill and UNC Chapel Hill was right there and Duke was like 10 minutes away. And you will not find parties where both students go to. You won't find bars that both students go to. You know, it's definitely very segregated. But in Europe, you're going to have friends who go to the different universities in the city and you're going to be going to you know different student events that are not just about your university but the other universities in the city as well and it becomes sort of like the city is your campus which is pretty cool so in terms of housing certainly dorms in the u.s serve the need of the ease of housing the first year you don't have to worry about it they also can form community you know you know that you're going to be living with another freshman who like international students in Europe, you know, you're both going through the same thing together, this, the same first year of life at a university and that can create community and, and such there. Again, these are met in Europe. Now, housing generally is not guaranteed. There are some cases in which it is guaranteed, but I'm trying to think if I've ever met a student who just didn't get housing their first year. And that's not the case. I mean, there are definitely, Sometimes some more hoops to jump through. You have to make sure you apply by a certain deadline if you want to get into the student housing, but it's there. The student housing is there. It's just learning how to access it, which either through the Beyond the States community or the school, you'll find out how to access it. And again, you're going to be living, usually you're living with other international students that first year in student residences. So you're still going to have that community as well. Now, housing is structured a little bit differently too. I've seen pictures of dorm rooms now, and they look a lot like when I was in the dorms many, many years ago, where, of course, you have a roommate, at least one roommate in a fairly small room and a bathroom that's shared with, you know, the bathroom stalls and whatever shared with the entire floor. Sometimes if you're lucky, maybe you'd get a suite where you only share a bathroom with four people. But in Europe, having a shared room is very, very rare. And usually in the student residences, you'll have a single room and you'll either have your own bathroom and sort of kitchenette area or a bathroom and kitchenette area that's, that's shared with a certain number of rooms. 
So because my son started at Leiden his first year and then went to Erasmus University, Rotterdam, his second year, he did the student residences for both years. And each time he had his own bedroom with a bathroom that was shared with one other student. His first year in Leiden, he had his own little kitchenette area. And his second year in Rotterdam, he had a kitchen that he shared with one other student. So that's fairly standard. And then this coming year, which is his second year in Rotterdam, he's moving into an apartment with two other students. So most students do that. They start in the student residences and then get an apartment. Usually apartments are less money, but by waiting to do that a year, you get to lay the land, you meet some friends who you might want to live with, and you get a better idea of your options. So it's, I think it's always a good idea to start in the student residences. So those are, you know, just a few of the social needs and how they're met, even though they're presented it in a different way. So if you're in that second situation, if you're in that situation where you're open to living outside the box and, and you're interested in international experiences, but you're hesitant because you're not sure whether your needs would be met socially due to the sort of different packaging, I would suggest really asking yourself why whatever aspect of the traditional American experience is important to you. You know, if it's that the Greek system is important to you. Why is that? Is that because of the community? Is that because of the parties? Whatever it might be. If it's collegiate sports, why is that important to you? And then really looking at that reason why, which is your need, and consider whether that need can be met through Europe, though packaged in a different way. And again, there are a number of ways to find that information out. We have a number of student ambassadors you can talk to about that. We have recordings with the student ambassadors about different aspects of their life, including social life. We have a Facebook group. And the other thing you can do, often there are on university uh, websites, a way to ask students questions. So absolutely ask open questions, ask direct questions to find out if in fact these needs could be met. So we're going to take a quick break and then we will come back with um, an interview with Adam who will be talking about his experiences as a student in Europe. I'm Tati, I'm from Atlanta, and I'm in my third year of study at Hans University in the Netherlands. And I found my university through my Beyond the States membership. I'd been interested in studying in Europe before I joined Beyond the States, but the research my mom and I did on our own often resulted in misinformation or information that didn't apply to me as a native English speaker from an American high school. Nobody at my high school knew how to advise me either. With the help of the BTS database and membership resources, I was able to explore my different options and get advice from Jen about admission strategies. Membership includes more these days than when I was a member. The private member Facebook group includes students and families at all stages of the process. When students go to Europe, we and our parents can stay in the group. Not only does this mean we can answer questions from members who are exploring, but we can get information and resources during our study. My mom is still in the group and has found it helpful, especially connecting with other parents during the height of COVID. If you're interested in studying Europe, I suggest that you join Beyond the States for at least a month. I don't think you'll regret it at all. Check the show notes for details and a link or visit the services page at beyondthestates.com. All right. Well, today I am super excited for you to meet Adam Willis. He is one of our one of our first-ish members um, at Beyond the States. He is spent his time growing up in both Kalamazoo and Chicago. And now he is studying at Erasmus University Rotterdam in the Management of International Social Challenges program, which is a mouthful, and is finishing up his degree. So Adam, thanks so much for being here with us today. 
Wow, that was a fantastic intro. Wow. Ah. Like, <laughs> so, yeah, you know what? I should have gotten your GPA before. I could have thrown that in there too, right? Oh, Make it a resume. <laughs> my high school, oh, I remember no. we had like honors classes. So like my, my, my high school GPA was like, 4.3 but that it sounds super like cool because it's like above a 4.0 but he had like honors classes that like carries it up but yeah you know it helps a little bit but it does <laughs> but you know what's crazy and we'll get into this a little bit is um so erasmus university of rotterdam is a top 100 globally ranked school and uh they don't even care about gpa which no, is kind of awesome yeah <laughs> yeah they actually don't care about my sat score either because obviously it doesn't really carry over. Honestly, that's kind of an advantage of being an international student. They really just look at sort of the profile and the motivation for why you want to come, not so much like your your grade scores and stuff like that. So I guess that was like kind of a benefit. Because <laughs> if you're Dutch, it's much harder. You have to get really good grades to go to a school like Erasmus, uh, which, yeah, like you said, it's like, you know, better than like 95% of schools in America as well. So, Yeah. <laughs> and actually when you applied they didn't even require ap's that program in Erasmus didn't require ap's now they do it's like a dutch standard but um yeah, yeah it's a lot more about you know do you have the qualifications to get in than anything else yeah. so tell me this can you just start by telling us a little bit about how you got to college in europe what made you think about it what made you pursue it what made you choose this school yeah. so initially right there's a a, a couple factors that made me sort of the spark the idea. Like, first off, I am the youngest of four and I have a very inspiring family, I guess, international family. And so my sisters, both of my sisters have studied abroad and I, I've learned a lot just from traveling. I guess for an American kid, I, I traveled a lot more for the most part. And when I was younger, I actually lived in South Korea for a little bit of time uh, for like months in the summer. I sort of had like this international background, I guess you could say. But my sister, Amanda, she studied at TU Delft, which is uh, not far from where I'm living now. And she was uh, right around my junior year of high school. I was sort of uh, trying to decide, you know, like, where do I want to go to school? Do I want to be $80,000 in debt? Like, this doesn't seem like a very fun thing to do. I don't have like a wealthy family that I could just pay for all these things. So I was just sort of brainstorming, you know, with my family and my sister, Amanda, she was like, well, there's a lot of schools in Europe that you go to, you should look into it. And she told me about Rotterdam because, you know, she's my sister. So she knows me. She knows that I would maybe like Rotterdam. And so we started looking into schools and, and uh, I sort of like when I was, I guess, 17 at the time, if you would have told me at that time that I would be going to college in Europe straight out of high school, even after I applied, I still wouldn't have like really believed it. I didn't really think it was possible. You know, I was like very, you know, sort of naive, I guess. Uh, but I applied to three schools in the Netherlands and I got into all three. Nice. And so my dad, when he like obviously found out that I got into the schools, he's like, okay, well, let's just go and visit it. You know, I had never been to Europe. So he was like, all right, let's visit the Netherlands, visit the schools. At the very least, you know, if you don't like the schools, you get to say that you went to Europe and you got to see these schools. And that was around, I guess, April of my senior year. So like, I still haven't decided where I want to go to school. Everybody else in my school knows where they want to go. And I'm sort of like, okay, I'm still trying to figure this out. And, they're all wearing their sweatshirts to school where they're going <laughs> next year, right? And you're yeah, like, oh, they're there, you know, like in the yearbook, like the, at the end of the yearbook, they have like a school. I think I was right. like, one that hadn't had it yet. <laughs> and um, 
And so we, we came to the Netherlands and that's when I really like saw it firsthand, you know, like, okay, I can really do this. And that I could see that this was possible. So initially, right, the, the main things that sort of sparked the idea was part of it was, was financial and also just the idea of going to Europe. But I think the biggest thing for me that really made it an easy decision at the end of the day was that I knew I wanted to do something unique and different. You know, I didn't want to go to college just because that's what everyone else is doing. I wanted to, you know, surround myself with different people. And I, I've said this before also in that, in that video that like I wanted to surround myself with a new environment and I guess force myself to, I guess, challenge myself and be in, do something totally different. And I guess going halfway across the world was like the best <laughs> way of doing that. <laughs> so, yeah. You know, you talked about challenging yourself and your parents actually really inspired me. You know, we have a Facebook member group for all of the families we work with and you are a year ahead of my son. And so when he was going for his first year, you know, there was a lot of talk in the Facebook group. Are parents going to go with their students to like get them set up, which is, you know, a thing in the U.S. and really not so much a thing in Europe. And <laughs> Sam really didn't care that if I didn't go with him. My daughter wants me to like go and pretty much move into her room with her. But Sam just would not have cared. And your parents were talking about what they did, which was sent you on your way. You guys went over everything, all of the really important things. So you knew what you had to do in terms of residence, bank, all of that. And then they followed up on the things that were really crucial, but kind of left it to you. And I thought, that's awesome. Like, how is that for building confidence right from the start? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I guess when you, when you put it like that, it sounds pretty cool. I think, well, first of all, like my stepmom, Lyra, uh, she's mm -hmm. just been an incredible help. Like she helped me figure out everything, whether it was just like the bureaucratic things, like all the paperwork and formalities, all that stuff. Like she was so incredibly helpful and she helped me get in contact with you and beyond the state. So she's just been so incredibly helpful with all that whole process. Mm -hmm. So, and my dad as well, just like as someone who just really inspires me to really like do things, you know, out of the ordinary. But I also primed for this when I was younger. Like I mentioned, I lived in Korea for a little bit when I was younger. And this is like, I think looking back on it, when I say it out loud, it sounds kind of crazy. But at the time, you know, it was quite normal, but I was really young when I was in Korea. I was probably eight, nine, uh, 10, 11 years old. And I would, you know, my dad would go to work and me and my siblings, we would just, you know, roam the streets of Korea, like by ourselves. And, and that was something, I guess, that I think subconsciously sort of helped me adapt to the world from an international perspective, you know, because... I was, I just had to learn things on the fly and just sort of live my life, you know? And, and I guess that's sort of a similar approach when I came here. It was just like, it was just about, yeah, I, I had that confidence, I guess, to, in myself that I was going to be okay as long as I, you know, I'm open to things and open to people and, and yeah, so it was pretty straightforward. <laughs> that's really interesting. Cause that's, you know, I, I talk to a lot of parents who have younger kids and they say, you know, how, you know, certainly we're not ready to look at schools yet, but what can I do to kind of prepare my kids. And I think that's actually a really important sort of lesson your parents taught you there too, is like, Hey, the world's not this scary place. You can yeah. manage it even outside of, you know, your little subdivision back in Kalamazoo, you yeah. can manage it and you can be okay in the yeah. greater world, which is pretty cool. Yeah. No, my dad, like my dad, I feel like my dad really prepared me so well for just a lot of things in my life, but especially, you know, I still call him all the time and he gives me such great advice all the time. And, and one of the things that he really told me when I first came here was like, you're really only going to learn like 10% of the things you need to know in the classroom. Like 
obviously school is really important, but you're almost like a farmer, he says, or where you're planting your seeds with relationships and you have to water your relationships. And I'm saying this, like, I still have to work on this, obviously, (laughs) but you have to, you know, you have to water your relationships and that's what you really learn from, like the people that you connect with, you know, and the things that you learn from your experiences around you. You know, I came here for school, obviously, but there's so many other experiences that I was able to get just from the people that I talked to and and the the friendships that I've gained and also having the opportunity to play baseball here as well. It's just like, you know, these are the things that I was just super lucky to have. And that was just because things that I forced myself to do outside the classroom. And I think that's like a great learning experience for me, you know. So you presented so many great segues into a few of the things I want to talk to you about. I don't know which one I want to do first. So let's talk about baseball. You know, as I mentioned to you before, and I mentioned to the listeners, one thing I want to do now that we're relaunching the podcast is really talk to students who have some sort of unique and interesting um, aspect of their experience in Europe. And there are a few we're going to talk to you about today. One of which, though, is that you play baseball. In, yeah. And I have to tell you, like, if I were to think of um, what is most American sport, it would probably be baseball. So I was surprised, number one, that there's even baseball to do. And then, as you know, the collegiate sports scene in Europe is different than the U.S. So I'm hoping you can tell us a little bit about what this looks like, yeah. In, yeah. you know, how you got involved, what it looks like, especially compared to what it might look like in the States, since that might be the frame of reference that people Absolutely. have. Yeah, it's... um. It's quite different. I think, so I guess I can first go into sort of how I got started with it. Mm-hmm. I've never been like a crazy good baseball player, or like a great baseball player. I always just enjoyed working hard and getting better every day. And I actually, when I played my final high school game, I thought that was going to be my last game ever because I didn't really know where I was going to go to school. But when I eventually made the decision to come to the Netherlands, part of the reason was also, I didn't mention before, was because I knew there was an opportunity to play baseball because the Netherlands is actually really good at baseball, but they have a very small community. And most of the, like, I would say 90% of the good players are actually from Curacao and Aruba, like the islands over near Puerto Rico. Um, So they have, you know, like a small sort of community, I guess, of like baseball lovers over here. And it just so happens that the club that I go to, which is, it's called Curacao Neptunus, they're actually the best club in Europe like statistically like they've won the european championship i think like four out of the last five years and they have this huge stadium this beautiful stadium that i get to play in basically the way i got in contact was i literally before coming i googled like baseball in the netherlands like (laughs) and and i i found this club and it's you know in rotterdam so it's it's very close to where i'm going to school or it's in the same city And um, I got in contact with like the manager of one of the teams and and he just told me, he's like, hey, uh, if you want to come play baseball, like this club is the best place to do it. And uh, and we'd love to have you out here, out here. And then I just sort of came in, I joined, I started practicing with them and then they just sort of took me in under their wing. And then eventually I was able to join the team. But the way that the teams work, you know, I guess the whole system Mm -hmm. of sports in Europe is that like, first of all, you don't play through the school. And even to this day, it's still like Dutch people love to make fun of like Americans for how, how much they like monetize like young teenagers sacrificing their bodies to put on a show and they don't even get paid. Like it's, it's, uh, it's really, it, it's kind of funny when you really think about the system of the American like sports and like the NCAA, it doesn't really work like that over here. Um, I play for like the city of Rotterdam I don't play for Erasmus at all. 
and like the sport teams, you have like probably 10 different levels of teams. And so like the top league or the, the top level, that's like, it's, it's called like the host class, which is like the head class. And that's, those guys are professionals. Like they're either former pros, they get paid to play and they actually, their games are televised. And, um, and I play for the second team. So I play for the team right below that. We're technically like, yeah. So we're like the youth squad. I play for the team closest to the pro guys. So I guess I could say I'm a professional baseball player because it's like, I guess the, the Dutch minor leagues. Um, that's what I was going to say. Is it like minor leagues? Yeah. Yeah. That's like sort of the joke that we always say, like, yo, we're professional Dutch miners, you know? Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and then, so basically that's how it works. And, and it just goes based on skill level after that. And, you know, they have different age groups and stuff, but you know, you could say there's probably 10, 15 different teams and it just all goes in line of like skill level. And they just put you in based on, you know, where you fit best. And, and it's really, I think the system works really well over here, I guess in Europe in general, because it allows people to play sports at a high level and still get better beyond their years of what they're expected to play. So I play with guys who are in their thirties or um, guys who, you know, you know, in America, even if you play in college, if you don't go pro after college, the opportunity to, to still play baseball is very slim or any sport is very slim. And I think that's something that in the Netherlands, at least, they sort of take pride in the fact that people play sports here all the time at any age, you know, and it just keeps going. So I think that's a really nice thing about it. That's really cool. And you know what I think is cool about this also is that it really demonstrates how student life is really about being a part of this city of Rotterdam as opposed to just being Erasmus University of Rotterdam. You know, you have your friends at school. You have your friends from your living situation, whether that's student residences or apartments or whatever. And then you have this additional, you know, community from um, baseball, which is pretty awesome. Yeah. I've been here for three years now and I still, when the like topic comes up that I play baseball here, Dutch people are still so shocked that it even exists. And these are Dutch people, people from (laughs) Rotterdam even that don't even know that this sort of baseball community exists. So in a way I've sort of had like this like separate community of like, you know, I play baseball. Most of my friends have never seen me play or, or know or seen the field. And, and so I just sort of like keep that separate, but it is like, it is cool, you know, I guess, uh, to, to have made those relationships there. And, and I've played with some really like incredible players, guys who played, you know, in, at a high level in America. And I've learned a lot, you know, and, and it's just like three years ago, I would have never really thought that this would have really been possible, you know? And I think that's, something that I I'm always reminded of every time I go there that I can really appreciate the fact that I, I guess how far I've come in a sense. So awesome. <laughs> it's cool, yeah. So are, so I'm thinking about students who might be like, Oh yeah, they've played some other sport and why right now I can't think of anything off the top of my head is beyond me, but they've yeah. played, I don't want to use soccer cause that's so competitive, but yeah. rugby, like, right. So they played rugby in, in high school yeah. and you know, they wouldn't be playing college sports if they were in the U S but sort of like you, you know, like, Given this sort of 10-tier system, of course, most sports, I don't know about baseball, most sports can be played intramurally through different university sports centers. In terms of kind of taking it up a notch from that, would you say that this is how most of them are structured? So a rugby kid might be able to come over and and contact a club and say, hey, I want to see which level I could be a part of? Yeah, there's actually even... There's even American football over here. I haven't seen it with my own eyes, but I I play (laughs) baseball with guys who used to play American football. Mm -hmm. Um, 
it's really just a matter of like, you know, finding the right people to get you in contact. Mm -hmm. But like, okay, so for example, well, first of all, also at Erasmus, they have sports at Erasmus, but it's just obviously not at like, uh, I guess a high level, you know, it's more, it's more like, I guess, intramural, like you say, a lot of people just playing basketball for fun. They have levels as well. You know, at the highest level is pretty good, but it's not like schools, you know, really competing with like putting on shows and stuff like that. So they do have sports at Erasmus, but like Erasmus didn't have a baseball team, obviously. So that's sort of why I resorted more toward looking at like, I guess, Neptunus as, as the club. But, you know, I have roommates that play volleyball as well at, at Erasmus. But to answer your question, if somebody, for example, wanted to play rugby or basketball and they didn't think that they wanted to play at, like at the school because it's like not high enough level, they have basically the same thing for basketball, for example they have like these external clubs that are sort of like more connected to the city and that's like really high level playing and you just have to sort of get in contact with it. I don't obviously don't know rugby as well, but like I literally, it was as simple as me just Googling and then you, you sort of figure out your area of like what exists there. And, you know, they're always looking for, you know, international people um, and, and they're accepting people to come in. And yeah, if you, if you show up, you know, that's half the job and then they bring you in and then, you know, it goes from there, I think, at least. <laughs> I don't know if that's a good explanation, but... Yeah. No, it is. It definitely is. I mean, I understand it more clearly. I'm not a big sports person, but I can, even I can understand it more clearly now. Yeah. So yeah. the other thing I want to talk about that I think is really interesting, I was thinking about this. So, you know, your program, of course, is a three-year program. And yeah. I think a lot about the kids who had their first year of study under COVID, right? And I'm always like, oh, these poor kids, blah, blah, blah. But then I was thinking about you, and you had your last year and a half affected by it. And I think that is as significant because that first part of your third year is set aside for these really cool, different opportunities. Yeah. So the other reason I want to talk to you today is so you can tell us about, I mean, I think it's incredible. I don't know how you did it. I want to know how you did it, but <laughs> how you're still getting those opportunities, despite the fact I don't know, are you technically still ending in May or are you extending your study? Anyway, if you can tell our listeners about what you're doing. Okay. Yeah, I will try my best. So, <laughs> so I'm, well, first of all, to answer, like, I guess to address the COVID thing, right. Mm-hmm. is another perfect example of like how my dad gives me good advice about like really like looking at the positive side of things, <laughs> because I will admit the last year and a half is for everyone. It's a lot tougher to, to not be able to do things. You know, you pay money to go to school, but you can't go to the school. Like every student can relate to how much that sucks, obviously. But my experience is already pretty cool anyway. So I don't have much to complain about. So I was my last year, right? So part of my program in the third year, like you said, the first, I guess, semester, it's not really a full semester, but you're supposed to designate about three and a half months to either an internship, a minor, or to go on exchange. And when they told us that my first year, I was like, oh, sweet. Okay, I'll do a minor or internship. Like, I, in no way, no part of my mind was like, I'm going to go on exchange again. I'm already right. like so right. far. But when the time came and I saw the list of schools that, uh, that you could go to, I saw that there were a lot of schools from South Korea on there. Mm-hmm. And one of those schools was Seoul National University, which is, that's like the Harvard of Asia. That's like, when I and and also like as I mentioned before, I've been I've lived in Korea. Right. Korea played such a such a crucial role in who I am as a person, and and so I was like, you know, let me just like apply 
and see what happens. And, uh, and it's kind of a funny story how I, how I got into it, I guess. Um, so I applied and I actually didn't get in initially, but Mm -hmm. I was so like, I wanted to go so bad because at this point I was like, yo, like I, I would really love to, to have this experience to go to Korea. Was this pre-COVID when you were applying? Was this like the beginning of your second year? So it was, it was before the world sort of stopped. Yeah, it was way, I would say like the application process, like COVID came like just after the application process. Right, right. Okay. um, I applied and I didn't get in initially, but I, and when I got the letter that like I, or they gave me like my second option, which wasn't Korea. And so I rode my bike all the way to the school and I went to the top floor to the exchange office. And I just had a conversation with the lady. I said like, Hey, is there, you know, any opportunities for other schools that might have an extra slot or is there a waiting list you can put me on? You know, I'm just like, I'm just seeing what, like worst case scenario, they say like, yo, screw off. Like, you know, right, right, right. And, uh, and she was really nice. And she's like, yeah, I'll put you on the list. And you know, if something comes up, I'll let you know. The next day, somebody dropped out or somebody decided that they, they couldn't go or that they didn't want to go, which I thought was bizarre to me. Um, yeah. But I, yeah. I don't know who the person is, but like they opened up the slot for me. And so I was Crazy. able to get a slot to go to Seoul National University. And so I'm like, you know, ecstatic basically. Right. And then COVID happens <laughs> and just like basically, well, actually Korea was one of the last countries to sort of cancel because I don't know if you know, the situation was really good there for a while, yeah. but ultimately COVID just sort of like ruined it, I guess. But thankfully they allowed all the people who got accepted to go on exchange, the option to defer it to the following year. So basically it would sort of be an extension of your, your bachelor. So instead of graduating in july you would just sort of continue your school for those extra months that you would do your exchange and then you Mm -hmm. technically receive your diploma after you come back but this is obviously a very unique scenario that you know never been in a situation where there's a global pandemic like this but uh yeah so now I'm, i'm in that like moment right now where i'm about to finish my thesis but i still have a few more months left of school so i'll have already obtained all of my credits but I won't be able to get, I guess, get my diploma until after I come right. back to Korea. And like the last thing I mentioned before, because yeah. I'm going to tangent now. No, um, this is awesome. <laughs> so because, and this, I guess, is another example of like, you know, blessing in disguise type thing. Because I wasn't able to go to Korea during that time slot where I had to do, to do the minor or the internship or exchange, I had to find a minor to sort of replace it. And that minor ended up being uh, global poverty, which was this really cool minor that I did um, in the Hague. Um, and I actually went to the Hague a few times for classes and eventually they said we had to do it online, but basically because of COVID and, and I guess deferring my exchange a year, I got connected with this global poverty course where I met a whole bunch of new people who weren't from my course and got connected with professors and teachers that I still am in contact with today. I'm actually going to Greece in a month and I'm going to like meet my tutor or like my professor from that course. So it's just like, like without going into too much detail, it was just like, you know, an example of like, you know, COVID sucked, but like I was able to meet so many new people because of, you know, you know, having my options open and, and that was like really cool for me. So, yeah. I think it really speaks to you and your, um, initiative. I feel like number one, I need to have your dad on speed dial for any time I'm feeling discouraged. And number two, I feel like 
I need Sam to have you on speed dial to say, dude, just, you know, go take the extra step. It doesn't hurt anything. You know, just go ask. You can, you know, anyway, it's, it's really, it's unique. Um, and it's, and it's really impressive. So, so tell me this. So you graduate in you know, next fallish, right? Management of international social challenges, minor in global poverty, semester in Korea. You have a year that you can spend in the Netherlands, of course, looking for a job if you want. What are your plans? I really wish I could be one of those students that has everything lined up, you know, and uh-huh. it could say everything. Um, but I, I do have options, I guess. So obviously, I'm going to go to Korea and uh, really embrace that and, and try to learn as much as possible. And I also still have connections from back when I was younger that, you know, I will you know, get in touch with and, and see what sort of opportunities are there as well. But basically, I guess I have like sort of three options. I could stay in Korea uh, and sort of maybe find a job opportunity there in the few months that I'm there. Um, and I'm also going to try to play baseball a little bit there as well, which would be fun. Um, or come back to the Netherlands and sort of take this like six month brace period to decide, you know, if I want to get a job here, because I also have, you know, potential opportunities here. Mm-hmm. Or go back to the U.S. and take up some opportunities there. And I'm sort of leaning toward going back to the U.S. mainly because I've been away from my family for so long. It would be nice to at least for a little bit, you know, be closer to them for a while. And uh, I just also have potential, some nice potential opportunities there as well that I think I want to. I want to at least you know take a break as well. And that's also a benefit of having, uh, I guess, an accelerated three-year program compared to the American system where I'm only 21 and I'll have had my bachelor's degree. And uh, that's a year before everyone that I went to school with, you know, so I'll definitely have time. You know, I I have to constantly remind myself that I'm young and that I have a little bit of time. So I think, you know, I want to probably go back to Chicago and, you know, be closer to my, to my dad. And then my mom is in Kalamazoo, so it's not far away. Um, I might stay with her as well. So, you know, and obviously I wouldn't just chill out. I would obviously look for opportunities and, and try to get internships here and there. But yeah, that's, uh, I think, you know, I, I have potential opportunities, potential plans, I guess, but I still don't know. <laughs> well, and the, the other cool thing about just in terms of options and having a lot is that that year, and again, you probably know this, I'm saying this for the listeners, that year that you have after graduating from a Dutch university to look for a job, you can use that anytime up to three years after you graduate. Yeah. So you go back and then be like, all right, I gave this a try. This was fun. I'd like to go yeah. back and look for a job and still move there for a year and and, yeah. uh, and yeah. be fine with that too. And I'll yeah. tell you, I'm from Chicago and I miss it every single day. Yeah. Every single oh, really? day. Oh, I feel like, oh, I didn't, I think I knew that, but I, Forgot. Wow. Yeah. No. Well, I moved from North Carolina, but I I lived in Chicago like my whole life until after yeah. we had them. So yeah. Yeah. It's also like yeah. It's just it's an amazing place, you know. And I I love. I grew up loving that city, and like that's also I guess another example of something that really inspired me to do something different was that like when I was younger, being from Kalamazoo, which is a small town in Michigan. I was always that kid that left every summer to go live with my dad in Chicago. And so I was always sort of like, you know, first of all, I was exposed to this beautiful, amazing big city, which is obviously very different from Kalamazoo, this small town. And so from a very young age, I was, you know, exposed to different parts of, you know, the world. And Chicago was like a perfect example of like, 
a city that represents, I guess, America. In a sense, you have like a rich side and a poor side. You, you just learn things about the world when you live in a city like Chicago and, and totally. you know, all of the, I guess, the struggles of certain people. And, and it's just a city that has really helped me learn a lot. And I think there's a lot of people, I'm just so blessed, you know, because I was just very lucky to have that. You know, there's a lot of people that I went to school with that had never even left the state or even people in Chicago from the South side who've never even seen the North side. You know, it's mm -hmm. like, mm -hmm. I'm so incredibly lucky to be in this position that I'm in. And, you know, I don't have a particularly wealthy family, but I have family that really stands behind me and is willing to, you know, support decisions that I make. And I think that's like a really, really big thing for me because when I was initially, you know, making the decision to come to the Netherlands, a big thing that made me really feel good about my decision was that I was making the decision. Like nobody was forcing me to do anything. It wasn't like I had to make this decision because, you know, if I don't do this, you know, it, it was just, it was my decision. And because of that, like if worst case scenario, I come to the Netherlands and I hate it, or I come to Europe and I like, I don't know, I have a panic attack or something. Right. Like I made that decision, you know, and I'm willing to deal with the repercussions. Like, you know, if it goes wrong, I guess, you know, and, and obviously it didn't, but like, that's the big thing for me is like, I wanted to have control over what I wanted to do. And I feel blessed because a lot of people don't have the opportunity to, you know, to really make, I guess, like big changes in their life because the, you know, certain things are, are holding them back, whether that's, you know, real institutional barriers or just mental things, you know? Yeah. It, it was just, I'm super lucky, you know, <laughs> having this I, conversation makes me realize how lucky I am. <laughs> that's really awesome. And I've said, as I've been listening to you, I'm like, how is he only 21 years old? I mean, your maturity is really incredible. And I have no doubt in my mind that you are going to be doing amazing things and that we're going to talk in a year and you're going to tell us all about these amazing <laughs> opportunities that you've really made happen for you. So I just, I really appreciate you talking to us today and um, can't wait to see where life takes you. So before we end, I have a couple of things I want to share with you. The first is about our monthly special, which of course changes each month as the name implies. And the September special is really big. So we have a number of self-paced courses that I've developed over the years. There's one about you know how to choose a major as it pertains to the options in Europe. There's another one about walking you through the process of choosing a program in a school in Europe. There's one about admissions. Uh, there's one about the options in the Netherlands, because other than Ireland, they have more English taught programs than any other country in Europe. And then there's one about the business options in Europe. So if you purchase these without a membership, they're 50 to 75 each, depending on uh, the course. But this month, you get all five for free with your purchase of a membership. So just remember, there's no long term commitment in our memberships. You can cancel after your first month if you want. You can, you know, sign up, dive in, take all the courses in the first month check out the other resources, and then cancel whenever you want. So you'll find a link to this special and also more information about this episode in our show notes. You'll also find a ton of information on our site, beyondthestates.com. Uh, there are blogs, some by me, others uh, by our student ambassadors, which are both video and written blogs. And you'll also find more about our various services and our incredible community of members. We'd love for you to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. If you have suggestions for future episodes, just shoot us a message there. And finally, if you enjoy the podcast, we'd really appreciate it if you would leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher. Thanks again for listening.